Good to see you guys. Thanks for joining us. I want to say hello to all of our campuses. Also, let's give it up for our God Behind Bars guys. We love you guys. Grateful for you. I am excited about today. We've had baptisms all day long. Can we just give it up once again for all those who got baptized at all of our campuses? Congratulations. It's awesome. A little boy one time asked his daddy, he said, Daddy, when can I get advertised? And that's really what you're doing. You're telling the whole world, I am now a Christian. I want to be set apart to be used of God. And so when you get baptized, we lower you under the water and bring you back up. What that represents is when Christ died and he rose again. It's you dying to yourself and now Christ is going to live through you. So once again, let's thank God for all those people who followed through in obedience to God. It's great. And it is not too late. It is not too late for you to get baptized. There's another service after this one. You can sign up right now, get plugged in. We'd love to get you baptized. And so if you have a child, fifth grade or below, we have a class for that that we want them to go through first. But if you're over that age and you know what it is to be saved and want to get baptized, you can do it right now. We'd love to, do, to, to baptize you, to dunk you in Jesus' name. And so we'd love to do that. Hey, I'm excited about a brand new series we're doing today called The Lies That We Believe. You and I have bought into lies without even realizing it. That's what I'm excited about because we're going to unpack those so that you can be set free from the lies that you've been living under. So if you have, if, do me a favor right now, take out a sheet of paper and take some notes. We gave you a note sheet in your bulletin on the way in. Please pull it out if you would. And as you do that, let's say our mission statement together. What are we here to do as a church? We're here to take as many people to heaven as we can before we die, period. So we're all about here at Church Unlimited. Thank you again for being here. And by the way, I'm bringing the nannies back just to let you know. Okay, I was just wanted to... I want you guys to know that. So anyways, I'm excited today talking about this. In fact, this last week I was in staff meeting and we were talking about something and I forget exactly what it was, but I said, oh yeah, you guys need to hash that out and figure that out because I'm not very good at administration. And I, I said, I found myself saying it often and, and Pastor Philip Board was in the room and he said, Pastor, he goes, I think you've bought into a lie that the devil's told you that you're not good at administrating when you lead this church. And I think that's actually a lie that you've bought. And I thought, wow, I'm about to teach on lies that we believe. And I just got called out by one of my pastors. And you know what? He's right. I realized you're right. And he said, you, you lead and, and help administrate a large church every single week. And I thought, thank you, Philip. Thank you for showing and shining a light on the fact that I have begun to buy into a lie when that's not the role I have in details, but rather I do administrate on a larger level. I'm under, I wonder if we've fallen for lies in our lives as well in different areas. I think we all have different things we've begun to believe because the devil will whisper lies to you. He'll tell you, you're nothing. You're useless. You're ugly. God has nothing for you. No one cares for you. He's lying to you. He's lying to all of us about different things. So we need to expose those lies. And so I want to give you some things to write down. The first thing is this. Would you write this down? We have fallen for lies. Every one of us. I know this may surprise you, but there are some lies that you've begun to believe in your life. It says in John 8, 44, it says, there is no truth in the devil. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So the devil is telling you lies about yourself that are not true. When I think about being a liar, I just I, honestly, my mind just immediately went to Buddy the Elf in the movie Elf. Remember that? When there's like a fake Santa in the department store and he says, you're a liar and you sit on a throne of lies. <laughs> I thought about that. You know, he's like, you don't smell like Santa. You smell like beef and cheese. And so <laughs> we need to be willing to expose the lies that we have fallen for. And, and the devil is telling all of us lies. Number one, we have fallen for lies. Number two, would you write this down? We need to apply the truth to your lie. 
We all have different lives we've fallen for. We need to apply the truth to the lies that we have fallen for. Ephesians 6, 11 says this, put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. And then what's the first part of the armor that Paul mentions? He says, put on the belt of truth. Paul is writing this from a prison in Rome. So as he's writing, can you just imagine he has his pen out in his paper and as he, begins to, as he began to write this letter to the people of Ephesus, that's why it's called Ephesians. Corinthians was to the people of Corinth and there was a second letter, second Corinthians. That's, that's how we get those names. So he was writing a letter to the people of Ephesus from Rome. I wonder as he sat there and he began to think about protecting yourself, girding yourself, you know, watching out for the enemy. He must have glanced over and saw the Roman soldier standing there. And he thought, hmm, put on the full armor of God as he looked at the armor that that Roman soldier was wearing, and then he began to look over the uniform he was wearing and said, let's talk about the belt of truth, right? He talked about the sword of the spirit, the shield of faith. But did you know the belt is the first thing you put on when you put on a coat of mail is what they call it? It's essentially a metal, a full metal jacket that you wear to protect yourself. And and the very first thing that, that you do though is you put on the belt because the belt holds it all together. So it says you gotta have the belt of truth. In fact, that belt has to be on tight. The reason why is because if it's not tight, you can't move around. You ever worn pants that were too loose and didn't have a belt? I bet you walk slowly, right? You're like, hey, what's up? Good to see you. Just give me a second here. Right? You can't run around. I mean, and so it limits your movement. It slows you down. But once you have truth and you have it firmly affixed to your life, you can move quicker. Could your life be slowed down because you're not wearing the belt of truth? You bought into some lies? Did you know also that that belt, the reason why it was so tight was because you would hang your armor on the belt. What good is it if you have the shield of faith and the sword of the spirit, yet it's all hanging on lies? So we have to be girded in the truth. And so this week and the next few weeks, we want to set you free as the word of God and his truth will do. And so we're going to take three lies a week. And so we're going to cover nine lies that we have fallen for. And we're going to dive into the first three now. So number one is we have fallen for lies. Number two, we need to apply the truth to the lie that we've begun to buy into. By the way, next week, I'm gonna continue this series and next week's message is about some of the lies that that create dysfunction in our daily lives. So you're not gonna wanna miss next week. In fact, if you're stuck, if you feel like, man, I just feel stuck. I'm not getting anywhere in my career, my family, just in my life. I just feel like, I just feel held back. Next week is all about that because underneath your dysfunction are lies. So we just have to uncover the things that we falsely believed. Be sure to be here next week for that. But I want to cover three lies today that I think are are foundational that many of us have bought into. The first is this. Would you write this lie down? Number one. Lie number one is this. I'm not important. It's a big lie. A lot of people fall for it. I'm just not important, pastor. I'm just, I'm just, I just know I'm not that important. That's just not true. In fact, the Bible says in John 3, 16, it says, for God so loved the world, that's you and me, that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And so he says, you're so valuable. I'm giving my son for you. That is an incredible price that was paid for your life. The Bible says you were bought at a price. My home and your home is valued at what someone will pay for. Not what we think is valued at, but what someone will actually pay for it is what your home is valued at. You are valued at what someone will pay for you. God paid his son for you. That means you're of incredible value. It says in Colossians 3.12, since you have been chosen by God who has given you this new kind of life and because of his deep love and concern for you, you should practice tenderhearted mercy and kindness. He says, you have been chosen by God. Say, I am chosen. chosen. 
You know, I know you've been chosen. You were chosen of all the people in the world to raise your children. You were chosen to be married to who you're married to. You were chosen to have the job you have. You were chosen to live in this city and to make an impact right here in this point in history. You are chosen. God has a plan for you. You are important because you are chosen. You remember when you were a little kid and they'd line you up against the wall and they'd have two team captains. They'd pick teams for sports. Remember that? I hated that. I was always chosen last. I was a little, little run. I mean, I was, like, I was like, I was so small. I was like an amoeba. I mean, I was so tiny. And I'd be standing there and they'd be like this person. And then they would be fighting over who has to take me. No, no, you'd get Billy. No, you. I was like, come on, let me join the team here. You know? And so I was always chosen last. That's not what God does with you. God chooses you first. He says, I chose you. I want you on my team. I sent my son to die for you. You are incredible, incredibly valued. He picked you. Turn to the person next to you and say, do you know what a big deal this is to be sitting by me? Let him know right now. You get to sit by this. Let him know. You're a big deal. You are important to God. There's a true story of an American tourist that went to Paris. True story. He went to Paris. On his way home from Paris, he decided to do a little shopping just to get some items and some gifts to, to remember his trip by. He went into an older store that had a lot of used goods, some historical items and so forth. And he was just looking around. He, he noticed this one necklace, a little amber necklace. That he, he liked the look of it. It was kind of old, couldn't be that expensive. So he decided to pick it up and buy it. And he, he put that on the counter with several other things, bought those items. He got to America and he flew in through by way of New York City. And uh, when he came in, he had to go through customs and he had to pay a, a, a tariff on each item he brought into the country. And they asked him for the item, he showed them the items and he, they took a look at the, the, the necklace and they charged a very high tariff for it. And he's like, whoa, 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 how much do I have to pay? And he said, well, this is, we think this is valuable, sir, you need to pay this much. He was like, so then in his mind, he's thinking, maybe I'll just throw this away. I don't think it's that valuable. But he thought, maybe it is. So he went ahead and he paid the tariff. So then it got him curious. So he thought, let me go see what this thing's worth. So he, he wanted to get it appraised. So he took it to a local jeweler there in New York City the jeweler took a look at it, put it under the microscope. He began to adjust it. It's a true story. He began to adjust it and he looked. Where'd you get this again? I, I was in Paris. Really? He looked at it closely again. He immediately stopped and looked at the, young, the man and said, I'll pay you $25,000 for this right now. What? He was like, $25,000. I'm only offering this once. He was like, uh, no, give me my necklace back. So then he thought, what do I have? So he went to a second jeweler. And he said, I just want to get a second opinion of what you think this may be worth. Gave it to the jeweler. The jeweler took it. He said, oh, I'll check it out. Put it under the microscope again. He began to adjust the microscope. He stopped and he looked closely again, turned it. He said, uh, were you offered anything for this? He goes, yeah, I was offered $25,000. He said, I'll offer you $10,000 more. Finally said, okay, what's making this so valuable? I don't understand. He goes, you, you really don't know? He goes, I have no idea. He goes, come here, come here, look, look in the microscope. Look, look right here. And he began to turn the necklace and he said, do you see that? And he looked real closely and it said, from Napoleon Bonaparte to Josephine. See, the value wasn't in what we would look at the mechanics of the necklace. It was in the owner and the purpose of it. Your value is not what people see by face value. It's the fact that you have been bought with a price and you have a purpose from God. You are incredibly valuable because of whose you are and you are a gift to the world. You are important. Do not believe lie number one, which is I'm not important. You are very important. Let me tell you why this is also so important. Because if you buy into this, you buy into what I call little old me syndrome. When God begins to tell you to do something big and you think, well, I can't do it, little old me. I mean, I, I can't step out in faith. I can't go for that promotion. I can't go for the opportunity. It's just a little old me. 
Well, there's no such thing as a little old you. You are big in the eyes of God that he sent his son for you. And so you're of great value. So we have to get rid of this mentality that says we're not important because we are important. God placed you here in this purpose, in this time, in this place to have a purpose and a future and a destiny. You are important to God. You matter to him. You really do. Second lie. The second lie that we oftentimes fall for sounds similar to the first, but it is different. Lie number two is this. God doesn't care about me. He's too busy running the world. Maybe you've fallen for this lie. I mean, look, I know God loves me. I get it that we're important because Jesus died for us and all that. But I mean, you know, he kind of lumps me in with the rest of the world. So I'm sure he's not like concerned about me personally, but he's like this giant cosmic God who's busy running everything. He doesn't have time to talk to me. He's too busy talking to the Pope and talking to Tim Tebow. He doesn't have time to talk to me. Right? We kind of excuse it like, you know, I mean, he's dealing with the big people, not me, right? I mean, God's not concerned about my every need. Well, this is a lie. Lie number two is that God doesn't care about me. He's too busy running the world. But that's not what the Bible says. Look at Luke chapter 12. It says this, what's the price of two or three pet canaries? Some loose change, right? But God never overlooks a single one. And he pays even greater attention to you down to the last detail, even numbering the hairs on your head. And yes, I know what you're thinking. I have less numbers than you, but that's not the point. (laughs) He is that concerned about you. He says, you're worth more than a million canaries. I don't know what a canary's worth. Let's go to Petco and find out right now. I have no idea, but I know a million of them adds up. So you are of incredible value to God. And if you doubt me, look at the detail of God. Look what he says in 1 Peter 5, 7. He says, cast all your anxiety on him because he what? He cares for you. There it is. He does care for you about the details of your life. He does. I remember I was 10 years old in the back seat of my mother's car. She's driving to a shopping mall. And as we're pulling up, she began, my mom is a very spiritual woman. She's driving up. She says, okay, Billy, let's pray for a parking spot. And I'm, even, I'm 10 and I even know this is ridiculous, right? I'm like, God's not going to give you some perfect little parking. Oh my gosh, look at that. <laughs> it was unbelievable. God would open the door for her. I mean, it's like, it like the car just parted the way all of a sudden. She had this upfront parking spot. Why? Because she thought, God loves me. He'll give me a good parking spot. Maybe I get bad ones because God knows I need exercise. I don't know. Maybe that's God's way of, I don't know. But you know what? I believe that all of church unlimited people, unlimited people now are going to be parked up front because we now believe that God cares about our concerns. He does. He cares about you. He knows what's going on with you, teenager. He's aware of what's going on in your family. He knows about your marriage situation. He knows about your boss being all over you. He is aware of the details of your life. He knows about that bill you can't pay. He knows God cares about you. And if you'll just ask him, he is waiting to help. I bet God is holding off on helping us saying, I just wanna see if you'll trust me. And if you'll ask me, I already have the answer for you. I just need you to learn to depend upon me. Ask and you shall what? Receive. Receive. God wants to come through for you. He cares for you. He does. He cares greatly for you. He wants to be there for you. It's not just the quote-unquote spiritual people. He cares about all of us, even if we don't feel like we are very spiritual. God is there for you. Earlier this week, I was talking with a couple people that, a couple that, that lost their baby this week through miscarriage. And if you've never been through that, I thank God you haven't. But if you have, then you understand the incredible pain of that. And I began to tell them about when Jessica and I lost our first child through, through miscarriage. As I was talking to him, she said to me, she said, Pastor, is it, is it okay that I'm angry? I said, absolutely. It's okay to be angry with God. God's a big God. He can take your anger. And so he said, I just don't understand why. I said, I get it. I was the same way when it happened to my wife and I. I mean, here we were, we were in seminary and, 
And, and I was broke. All my friends, we graduated from college and all of our friends went and got jobs and were starting to make money. And we stayed broke because I went back into school to get a master's degree in theology. And, and so I remember we were, we were broke and the only thing my wife wanted in the whole world was a baby. I mean, she had baby fever big time. And so she wanted a baby and I was all about participating in that process. And so <laughs> it'll come to you. Just give it a second. It'll come. And so we get pregnant. We're excited about having this baby. We're so fired up, you know, I'm about to graduate. We kind of timed it out as much as we could, at least in our timing, that, you know, if we get pregnant by this time, we'll have the baby right after we graduate and, you know, it'd be great. And, and so we were so excited. And then she began to spot. She felt some uneasiness. We wanted to make sure the baby was okay. We went to see. And the lady was instructed just to do the test and let the doctor know without letting us know. And but we, we weren't done. We figured it out and said, could you show us a heartbeat real quick? Well, you need to go see your doctor. Said, no, 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 no. We're not going to leave until you show us a heartbeat. Sorry, I'm sorry. You need to go talk to her. No, we're not leaving until you show me the heartbeat. Sorry, I'm really sorry. You need to call your doctor. My wife is crying. I'm angry because there's men we want to fix stuff and I can't fix this. The next day, she had to go in and get what's called a DNC. Many of you know what that is. If you don't, I'm happy you don't. They had to go take the baby out. and they, I remember being in the waiting room, and they called me, and they said, sure, you need to come see your wife right now. And she just woke up, and she's already in tears saying, you know, is, it, is the baby gone? I remember taking my wife home and being so mad. Thinking, God, how could you let this happen? I am giving my life for you. I'm totally devoted to you. We're totally broke because I'm trying to get school done so I can go spread your love and your gospel to the world. And all we wanted was a baby. I went to seminary the next day. I didn't want to go. You really don't want to learn about God um, when you're mad at him. And I was coming home from seminary and I was so mad. I was speeding. I started yelling in the car. I didn't sound very pastor-like, to be honest. I pulled the car over because I knew it was dangerous and I called my best friend Jay and I just said, I'm just so mad, man. I'm just so angry. Why would God do this? This makes no sense. And he just said, I know, bro. I'm sorry. You pray with me. And I remember yelling out to God. He said, God, where were you when my baby died? I'll never forget the Spirit of God speaking to me. And he said, I'm at the same place I was when I gave you my child. I can't tell you the amount of times that I've been able to share that and minister to someone else who's lost a baby. Uh, hundreds of times in the last 20 or more years. Because God never wastes a pain. And I believe God may have brought you here today. Maybe your pain's different. Maybe your story's different. But I believe God wants you to know that he does love you. He knows of your pain, of your difficulty. And even if you're mad at him because he didn't meet your expectation, you need to know that God has already begun the healing process. In fact, I believe that God brought me here today just to tell you that you may be hurting, you may be in a lot of pain, but he does care for you, and your healing starts today. It starts right now. He does care for you. He knows what you're going through. He didn't miss what happened to you. And he sincerely cares for you. Isn't it good to know that? That he loves you. He is aware of what you're going through. He really is.
you can trust God. Lie number one is that I'm not important. Lie number two, God doesn't care about me. It's simply not true. And I think the third lie is even more insidious than the first two. And this is something many of us have fallen for, and I have fallen for this in my life. Maybe you have too. Lie number three is this. I have to do life alone because other people will just betray me. You ever felt that way? Like, oh, no, no. I'm not getting close to anybody after this. No way. Not after what they did to me. I'm done with people. Some single women here are like, I'm done with men. Right? Some men in here, oh, I'm done with women, right? I'm just, I'm just done. I'm just, I'm destined to be single. That's what I'm going to do because then I won't get hurt. Right? Oh, I'm not joining the life group. No, 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 no. I'm not going to get close to people because they'll hurt me. Oh, I'm not getting married. No, 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 because that leads to divorce. As if somehow you're skipping it by living together and then breaking up. It's kind of the same thing, but the truth is, is often as we want to push people back. And I got to be honest as a pastor, I really don't like teaching this one because I see myself in this. My wife and I kind of have a hard time just trusting anyone because we've been burned by a lot of people. And to be honest with you, the people we've been burned by the most, they're all Christians. The people that burned us. So that whole, well, they really love Lord, that doesn't mean a lot to me when it comes to trust. I've been burned. Anyone else relate to what I'm talking about? I think a lot of people just think, I'll just do life alone because it just hurts too much to open myself up to someone, to trust someone, to give my heart to someone. I'm just not going to do that anymore. I'm going to play it safe and not have relationships with people. That's actually the most dangerous thing you could do. Scripture actually says this. It does say, and this is important that you understand this, we need to acknowledge this. Psalms 118 verse eight says, it is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It's very clear. So this is important. We need to know that our refuge is the Lord, not a person. In other words, people will disappoint you. People will hurt you. That does happen. And I wish today I could promise you it never happened again, but you and I both know that's simply not true. But that doesn't mean that we don't need to extend trust again to others. Now, having said that, trust people, but don't be stupid. Use some wisdom. If you have some signs that you see, whoa, 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 put the brakes on. Nothing wrong with that. Use wisdom. And so, you know, unfortunately, the way you discover wisdom in this area is to get burned, right? That's how you get wisdom suddenly. So when I hear certain things coming out of someone's mouth, I'm like, whoa, 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 because I know what some of the, I've heard that before, right? So yeah, have some more wisdom. But it doesn't mean we don't open our hearts. In fact, it says in 1 John 3, 11, it says love one another. But you know what it doesn't say? It doesn't say love one another unless you've been hurt. It doesn't say love one another unless you've been through divorce. Love one another unless you've been betrayed. Love one another unless you were abused. Love one another unless you were fired. Love one another unless this happened. There's, there's no clause in that. It just says love one another. Wow. But God, you know what I've gone through? And he's like, uh-huh, love one another. But God, people hurt me. And God says back to us, and you don't think you've hurt anyone? Oh. Oh, yeah, I guess I'm human too. So I guess I've probably done the same thing. We've all done this to people, and we've had it done to us as well. But it says to love one another. God does not want you to do life alone. So what, what does love look like? Well, let's just break down 1 Corinthians 13 real quick, which is considered the love chapter. It says this, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. It's good to put our hope back in people. We have to believe the best in them. Even when everything says, we gotta take that, take that risk. And risk does imply that you could get burned again. Here's the great thing about people, by the way. God's making more of them. 
just because someone burns you over here doesn't mean they're going to burn you over there. Oh, I've been to life group, man. Mine didn't work out. Well, there's other groups. Try a new one. Oh, I served one time and I didn't get along very well. There's other places to serve. Connect again. Oh, I'm not dating anymore. I'm done dating. Well, why? Because one person hurt you in the past. You don't know what they did to me or what they said. You don't have have any idea how, how bad I've been hurt. Well, we've all been hurt but they cost me pain in the past. Why am I bringing that pain into the present, letting it ruin relationships now? I mean, it was bad enough back then. Why would I let that continue today? God has a better way. But this is important. Let me give you some insight into this. This really helped me to understand this. First Peter 5 says this about the devil. The devil prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that your family of believers, whoa, 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 what? Oh, did you catch that? God assumes that you and I are in a family of believers. We're not supposed to go alone. He says, remember, your family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of suffering you are. You know, the, the, the devil, they, they call him a roaring lion here. A roaring lion is intimidating, very loud, and yes, scary. But lions actually aren't as strong as you think. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't want to fight one. But the truth is, is that actually lions will not attack animals in herds. Did you know that? They, they really don't attack packs because even weaker animals, if there's enough of them, will overpower a lion. Did you know that? What they go for is the animal that leaves the herd. So the lie that we believe in is, oh, I don't want to get hurt anymore. And so to avoid getting hurt, I just won't get close to people. And I would say that's the most dangerous place you can be because now you're easy pickings for the devil. So you're trying to protect yourself from getting hurt by being close to people, and that's the very thing that will cause you to go the wrong way. It will cause you to make the wrong decisions because we need each other. We need relationships. So the lie is, because I don't want to get hurt, I won't get close to people, when the truth is, if you don't get close to people, you'll get hurt. See how twisted that is? It's so easy to think, well, I just won't get connected to people and then I'll be protected. And that's not how it works. God wants us instead to connect with others. Clara Barton was the founder of the American Red Cross. One time a friend of hers said to her, hey, remember so-and-so, remember how bad they hurt you? And she said, no. He said, you don't remember what they did to you? And she said, I think this is beautiful. She said, I distinctly remember forgetting that. <laughs> See, it's a decision. Say, Pastor, man, that sounds great, but you don't understand. You don't know how bad someone hurt me. They don't deserve me to forgive them. Oh, let me clear the, clarify this. You don't forgive them because they deserve it. You forgive them because you deserve it. Because God has a future for you and a plan for you. And if you hold someone in the prison in your mind of unforgiveness, if you'll take the key that Jesus gives to forgive and stick it in the lock and open up that prison cell and swing it open and let them out, which you see who comes out is you. You were holding yourself back from the resentment, the anger, the hurt that you've been holding on to. Let go of that because it's holding you back. That lie that says, oh no, don't trust anyone. That's holding you back. God has more for your life than that. You don't forgive because they deserve it. You, de you forgive because, because you deserve it. So if you've gone over these three lies with me, they're real simple. The first lie is it says, I'm not important. That's not true. You're very important to God. The second lie is it says, God's not concerned about the details of my life. That's just not true. He cares for you in all the details. And the third is, oh, don't get close to people because they'll burn you. They'll betray you. No, that's a lie. The truth is, is that just because you've been betrayed doesn't mean you need to run away from people 
You need to go find good people that you can trust. Be wise in connecting with the right people. But we still have to take the risk because life is not really going to be what God wants it to be for you until you connect with others. The richness of life comes out in being in relationship with one another. I'll be honest with you. I'm a better person because of you. I really am. I'm a better person because of my family. I'm a better person because of my friends. And if you choose right, they'll make you better. You choose wrong, they can make you worse. But let's be honest, maybe some of you have already been hanging out with the wrong people. You're trying to make a huge change in your life. Why don't you begin to connect with the right people? Why don't you join a life group this week? Just by faith to say, you know what, I'm just gonna do it. So I don't know anybody. That's when you lean over to the person next to you, grab their hand and say, let's do this together. Now you know somebody. You join it together. Get involved together. Oh, my student won't go to the youth group because they don't know anyone. Well, then have them bring their friend. Now they know someone. Have them going together. And first of all, they're gonna walk in and be like, oh, hey, oh, I didn't know you came here. They do know people. They just never took the faith step to actually walk in the room and realize that half the kids in there, they, they already know them. They see them at school all the time. We gotta take that step of faith to connect with others. Don't listen to the lie that says we don't need to be connected and don't listen to the lie that says God is not connected to us. He is. There was a little boy that wanted to go to a birthday party. A friend of his was having the party. He asked his dad about a week earlier, and the dad said, sure, that'd be great. They lived up in the Northeast, so it was pretty cold. The particular day of the party, they had this huge snowstorm. So he went to his dad and said, hey, dad, party's in a little while. You can be able to drive me, right? It was about two blocks away. Dad said, son, I can't even get my garage open. The snow is so thick. And he said, I just don't think it's gonna happen today, buddy. I'm really sorry. Little boy got upset. He was like, no, 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 dad, dad, dad. All my friends are gonna be there. Please, it's only a couple blocks. I'll walk. You don't even have to drive me. He's like, you're going to walk two blocks in this weather. He's like, yes, Dad, please, please, please let me go. Mom, my friend's going to be there. Dad said, okay, you can go, but you better bundle up well and be careful. You're going to walk on the sidewalk, not the road, and call me when you get there, right? Okay, okay, Dad, thank you. Thanks, Dad. So he gets all bundled up. He looks like an Eskimo, man. He's, like, he's just covered, right? All these layers. He's got this little gift for his buddy under his arm. He walks outside, and I mean, the snow is just coming down. He's following his dad's advice, walking on the sidewalk. As he's walking, he can hardly see the sidewalk in front of him as he's going. He just, he feels so cold and it took him forever to get there. In fact, it took about 30 minutes to go two blocks just to get to his buddy's house. As soon as he got up there, he knocked on the door. When he knocked on the door, he heard something behind him and quickly glanced around to see a retreating figure going the other way. It was his father. He had followed him all the way there to make sure he got there safely. See, you thought you were alone this whole time. You thought you were going through that storm and it was just you. God was with you the whole time, making sure that you're okay. There is a God who thinks you're very important. There is a God who loves you, wants to connect with you and help you connect to the rest of his kids. Would you bow your heads with me? Every head bowed, every eye closed. We take a moment to pray today. My prayer for you is that you would understand these are lies that are holding you back. God says, I love you so much, I sent my son. That's how much I love you. Will you receive him? The Bible's very clear that Jesus died for us and rose again from the grave, waiting for you now to accept what he's done for you. By receiving him in your life today, it reserves a place for you in heaven. He forgives you of your sins and gives you a fresh start as well. It begins a relationship with you. You can receive him right now by praying this very simple prayer. We're gonna pray it out loud together across all of our campuses. Pray this prayer with me. You can say, dear Jesus, I realize I need you. I believe you died on the cross. You paid the price for my sin. And I believe you rose again. 
I ask you to come into my heart. Forgive me for my sins. I repent of my sins. I put you first place in my life. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. In your name we pray. Amen.